0: Well, hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, February the 22nd, which is Tuesday. Not Tuesday, the number two, Tuesday. It's all twos. February, 2, 22nd, 22, the year, twenty two twenty two on a twos day. I think you're going to have to wait something like 500 years or something before it happens again. And I think it was over 800 years ago that it happened last time. And I think the next time you're going to have a date where all the numbers are the same is somewhere around 187 years. Just if you like numbers, there you go. What are we going to do today? We are going to listen together, yes, together, if you got to hear it live stream anyway, you got to be together, to my presentation I did last week, Five Steps to an Unstoppable Life, which I did for the Anarcho Poco 2022 conference. I was able to get kind of a rough copy of the video because they have to edit it and do all that before they put it out to uh, the people that paid for access to it. Basically, I stripped, uh, well, you'll hear how I did it during the thing, so it's Not perfect, but the audio is pretty good, and it's here. And what I did today is I put it out on all the live streams. And I sat and watched it with everybody and communicated with them by chat and then took a bunch of information in during it and then did kind of a comments and questions section afterward, which was probably as good as the presentation itself. Obviously, the presentation doesn't suck because I did it. No, seriously, if it sucked, I, I, I would be like, damn, let's forget that ever happened. It went really, really well. And it went really well, mainly because I had like 25 people in the audience here and I could present it live. I could have never done this presentation the way that it came out, sitting behind my desk and I knew that that's why I put up the watch party and I say it during this but I'll I'll say it here at the beginning as well if you came thank you thank you so much and there's a point in this where my voice cracks a little bit when I'm saying that uh, after the uh, presentation and when I go live back to the audience and it's because at that moment I was just thinking about all of those people who spent their money and took their time to come be here Uh, and as I always say, when you, if you get a chance to come to a workshop here, it's usually once a year, uh, do what you can to come. I know I can't take everybody and, uh, I'm going to be talking to some folks about maybe doing some things where we can get together in a little bit larger of a group, but we have found the capacity limit on our house, but there's something about being here. With these people, that's amazing, and hopefully you'll hear that come through in my delivery today. Before we get to that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today, is Start Nine Embassy Servers. I talked about that yesterday with Adam Curry, and he's all over it. I think he's going to be getting in touch uh, with Matt over there and getting some of their technology integrated with Start Nine Embassy. You want to get one of these? You want to check them out? They're at uh, Start Nine, and uh, I'm sorry, Start Nine dot com. And if you're going to get one of these, and you should, just because of what it enables you to be able to do and take control of, then you're going to want to be an MSB member. A lot of times I talk about being an MSB member and you'll save money. If you're going to buy a Start9 embassy, even the lowest cost option, your MSB will pay for itself the day you buy the Start9. You'll be ahead money-wise. So, it, it makes a lot of sense to be an MSB member. That's how strong their discount is. I love working with these guys. I am kind of encouraging them to do a little bit more with like tutorials and stuff. I think that's going to be coming soon, but check out start And if you, uh, if you want to know more about all the capabilities, just go to the survivalpodcast.com, search for Start9. I interviewed Matt a few months ago, and you can listen to that episode if you haven't heard it yet. Next up, we just talked about saving money. Well, how about investing money and building wealth long-term? You want to do that? Well, you want to listen to John Pugliano. John is not just a great member of our community. I've been working with him going all the way back to 2011. Okay, He's also a member of the Expert Council, and he's one of the most switched-on guys I know about wealth management. And he gives away what he knows for free at the Wealthsteading podcast that you can find at Wealthsteading.com. With that, let's drop on into the live stream. If you didn't hear it then, you're hearing it now, but you'd like to see the video and what have you, of course you can find links to all of that in the show notes today. Again, uh, episode 3038. If you need to search for it because this is in the future, just drop EPI-3038 in our search box. That's the best way to go straight to an episode. And you'll be able to pull it up and find all the resources. And we are live and we are on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, absolutely seven, uh, platforms today. And our latest new one is no agenda tube, though since I didn't promote it much, I don't know that anybody's watching there yet, but we learned about that yesterday, uh, in my interview that was over two hours long with Adam Curry. If you haven't seen that yet, you might want to, uh, to go look that one up. Adam Curry and Jack Spearco on the future of podcasting. Uh, today I'm going to do something I've never done before. And I mean, I've never done it in a couple ways. I've never done it in totality, but I've also never used StreamYard to try to do something like I'm going to do today. Basically, we're recreating the watch party from Anarchapulco that we did last week, specifically my 37-minute talk on five steps to an unstoppable life. So in just a moment here, I'm going to hit play, and uh, I'll kind of duck out of the screen, but I'll be here with you. I'll be watching your comments if you're in the live stream on stream on YouTube anyway. Um, given what I'm going to try, I'm not going to pull up like another machine and have other streams running and bog down bandwidth because this is going to be unique. I'm hoping it's going to play smoothly. If it doesn't, I got a plan B and I got a plan C, and I ask you to hold with me through that, and then I'll worry about editing it out for the audio side later. Um, but I, I was incredibly honored to speak at Anarquico. And to have been asked to do that this year. And the theme was an unstoppable. And so I decided to take that theme and, and build it into my presentation. If you're watching this and you're like, look, dude, I just want to see your presentation. If you're watching it live, sorry, you know, um, but by the 23rd, this is the 22nd of uh, February, they're putting it out. I, it, at the latest, I will have uh, by tomorrow. Uh, just the, just the speech. If you want to share that or just watch that, uh, it went well or I obviously wouldn't be doing this. So what I'm about to do, I'm going to hit play. It's going to come up. Hopefully it's going to play smooth. I think that it will. I'm basically streaming it off my desktop to you. And I want to tell you just a little bit about why the quality is not exactly perfect. And if you're on a computer and you're watching on YouTube, you may want to leave it framed down a little bit. So Anarchopoco guys, they did a great job, but on the streaming page, they had like this cartoon thing framing everything in with this blimp going across the top of it and a chat thing on the side and all. And it was fine for what it was, but I find it distracting to do what we're going to do today. So I used a hack and I actually played it on the screen, the replay on the screen because there's no way to strip it off yet anyway. And, uh, cause it's like you have to strip down 12 hours of video if you're, if, if you even can figure out how to strip it. And I didn't want to deal with that big of a video file. So I just played it like I'm about to play it for you now and did a record only session. And then I imported it into Vegas and I cropped all that cartoonish stuff out of it. So of course that took a much smaller piece and then stretches it back out. So that's why it's like that. That was the best I can do. The other thing is when this starts, you might think you're going to have to watch the whole thing videoed of a projection screen. That only lasts a couple seconds. And I think the audio here is going to be more important anyway. So with that, Let's go ahead and get on it. This was last week presented live at Anarchapoco. First of all, I'm really excited to be speaking uh, at Anarchapoco, even though I'm doing it from, uh, Hazel, Texas with a lot of really great people here at a watch party out in my shop. And I was really honored when I was asked to speak here. And when I was asked to speak, I was told that they wanted to bring more people in that were talking about like permaculture, backyard food production and things like that. And I want to talk about that today, but I want to make it more broad. I want to make it inspirational. When I started thinking about just doing something like ways to produce food, I realized in 40 minutes I couldn't give you the technical information you needed unless I went into one thing. It didn't give you more of a broad spectrum. So I'm going to try to inspire you guys today, um, and I'm going to try to expose you some ideas and some concepts. But what I want to start out with is if you're watching this, what you want to do right now is get your phone or a piece of paper or whatever, and you want to write down a domain: thesurvivalpodcast.com. Big surprise there, but forward slash Mexico. You want to write that down. And if you're in a live audience somewhere and somebody actually pulls that up, you're going to hear them inhale dramatically when they realize how much free information that I put on that page to help support all the things that I'm going to give you today. How to grow your own food, how to start a business, how to handle cryptocurrency, because we're going to be talking about all that. But there's no way I can cram into 40 minutes the ability to do that. And then there's something really important there, a discount code. Uh, for my membership program. And it's really the only way I monetize what I do. Um, it's the primary way that I do that is by uh, a membership program. It's very inexpensive. It's $50 a year. You can get it for $35 a year if you use the discount code that's on that page. So with that out of the way, I want to give you some good news because I've heard as we've been watching a lot of the presentations from here, a lot of stuff that's kind of gloomy because of what's going on in the world. And what I want to open with is the good news is every problem... That we have, we already know what the solution is. There's solutions to everything that's going on in the world today. The bad news is there's a lot of impediments to implementing those solutions. But the good news is we know what they are. And I learned that through what I call the permaculture lens. And I want to kind of start off with how I started doing what I do and how I became motivated to do what I do today. And that was by finding my hero. And the man that I, I found that was my hero was a guy I never actually got to meet in person. His name was Bill Mollison. He co-founder of permaculture. And right when I started the survival podcast, I really didn't know what I was doing. This is back 2008. I got an email from a listener and it was greening the desert by Jeff Lawton. I watched that video. I was amazed and I wanted to know more about this permaculture stuff. And I found a video of Bill Mollison. I found this old codger and he talked about how when he was young, he worked in the forest cutting down trees. That's what he did. He cut down trees and realized that nobody that was out there working with him would ever be able to afford the homes who were building, being built with the trees they were cutting down. And then he, he kind of came back to the real world and he got so distressed, he ran back to the woods and kind of went to contemplative meditative state. And he started thinking about it. He said, I could live in the forest forever. Everything I need is right here. But if I do that, I'm going to let the bastards roll over everything. And I decided to go back and fight the bastards. And when I heard that, I was like, this is something I can get behind. So what I want to say is there's a lot of people that have heroes and heroes are often in people's minds, things like sports athletes or something like that. Or even if it's something not so mainstream culture, they have heroes in the fact that they look at someone that can do things they can't and then make that person their hero. I think what really makes someone a hero is when they show you what you can do, when you look at what they're doing and say, I can do that too. And that's what gave me the passion that led me. To do what I've been doing for all these years going on now. Uh, And I want to talk about approaching life as a systems designer, because this is what I took from permaculture, that every single thing in our lives is a system. We have living systems like the forest, living systems like a backyard ecosystem, but we also have mechanical systems. In the army, I was a mechanic. I learned troubleshooting, one of the most valuable skills in my life. So when I was when I got my hands and my head around this concept of systems thinking. With permaculture, we always think about growing food, right? Or maybe some alternative energy, but it's so much broader than that. And it's about taking everything in your life and distilling it down. What is the fundamental system at work here? And therefore, how can I take problems and create solutions? Now, when you say to somebody, the problem is the solution, a lot of times you get a little bit of a glassed-over look because they think, hey, how does that really work? The key lies in first identifying the actual problem. So the globalists are doing X, Y, Z. That's not the actual problem. There's a chain of events that gets down to you, and eventually it gets into inside your sphere of control, the things you actually can do something about. You identify the problem there, and that's where we transform the problem into the solution. And until we identify the actual problem, there's no way to turn the problem into the solution because we're not going to undo everything that they've done. Certainly not quickly. We're not going to make them all go away. They're not going to run away. I see a lot of hopium online and things like that. It's not going to happen. But we control our lives. We control the sphere around us. And there's some principles in doing this in permaculture. And one is see, recognize, and harness patterns. So. It's amazing what happens, and the reason so many of you folks listening to this today, when you see bullshit on TV, you know it's bullshit? It's because you saw the pattern. It's the same reason when you walk by a light switch on the wall and two switches are up, one switch is down and one switch is up, and you want to either pull one down or put the other one up because the pattern's broken, It's the same thing. Once you see pattern, you can't unsee it. So what we do is we look for the patterns in the systems around us. We harness those patterns and we channel them into our solutions. And the way we do that most effectively, and it's exactly what we teach in permaculture design, design what is closest to you first. Somebody goes out and they, you know, they figure out I'm going to buy a 10 acre farm. And the first thing they start trying to do is plant the back five acres. Wrong. I know it's exciting. It's what you want to do. I did some of it here on my own place. Some of it got away from me because I forgot my own rules. The way you design a property, walk out your back door. Look down at your feet. See that one square foot. Design that. Design every square foot that touches it. Design every square foot that touches that. Keep doing that. And that's your zone one. That's the part closest to you and your, your home. Well, you don't have to just do that with landscape design, which is what, that's a, you know, permaculture is kind of a cool way of saying landscape design, but we do it better than just run, you know, run of the mill landscape designers. We can design our whole life that way. What's closest to you? Hone in on it. Design that first. Solve that problem first. Solve another problem. With that, we're going to go through five areas that people identify through pattern recognition. We have problems in the world today. First one, real close to home of permaculture, food production, and food supply chains. There's like this ethos online. You see it all the time. And I love virtual communities. But you also see a little bit of like, again, hopium, kind of overdreaming, right? And dreams are great. They inspire. We also got to find reality with them. So this idea, I'm going to buy a piece of land. I'm going to grow all my own food. All of you have seen people make that claim. You're probably not gonna. I live on a very harsh piece of property. Most of my property has about two to four inches of soil and then it's solid limestone bedrock. It's the hardest place I probably could have picked to grow food. What can I say? I'm a permaculture masochist. I like hard properties. I went and I threw everything at it and I found certain things that work here. If they'll work here, they'll work anywhere. The first one is, Raise animals. There's nothing you can do that's better for your land or more nutrient dense than properly raised animals. That means raised humanely. That means moved around on land. That means rotational grazing. If we're doing ruminants, it does not mean KFOS. I know that there's a lot of people in the Anarchapoco and anarchist communities that have made the decision to be vegan or made a decision to be vegetarian. I understand that. I respect your decision. But I'm telling you, as someone that's had to figure out how to produce food products on a piece of land that is very, very difficult to produce food on. Animals are the thing that you can do the easiest and they restore the land. When I moved in here, dandelions would not grow on this property. When you look at this property in spring now, it takes your breath away. What we've done, and we did it with ducks, chickens, geese, and turkeys. And nothing else could have done that. And those of you that have a dream of restoring broad scale damaged ecosystems, you're not going to do it without ruminants. You don't want to eat them, that's fine, right? You want to have a petting zoo, that's fine. But animals are part of that cycle. And there's about 60% of the landmass of the world that will support people through animal agriculture that will never support people with cropping. It just won't. The next thing, though, is I'm not against growing plants. We like plants. We've got to put something in our Bloody Marys, right? Um, but the best thing you can grow... Are high ROI plants in some form of protected environment. So my favorite way to do that: indoor hydroponics. That's my favorite way. We grow greens all through our winter that way. We start all our plants that we're going to put out in the garden and grow in soil. We start them in indoor hydro systems. We go from taking eight weeks to make a tomato plant ready to put out in the garden to doing it in three to five weeks. In fact, we got to be careful. We don't start them too early. We end up with these plants with too big a system or two bigger roots to stay in the system. and It's still too cold to put them out. It accelerates things that much. Greenhouses, anything that's a protected environment. I have raised beds that are 30 inches high. I consider that a protected environment because it protects the plants from my ducks that want to eat them because they're lazy and they don't want to hop 30 inches up even though that they could. Next up, grow hardy perennials, herbs, weeds, wild things that you can eat. Things that grow native in your, your climate. Things that you don't have to do anything for. Every time I go on a walk somewhere, if I see wild garlic, especially different colors of wild garlic, I'm like a wild garlic connoisseur. I pull the little seed heads off and I bring them here, I throw them. 90% of them don't grow. But we have about eight different varieties of wild garlic to grow here every spring now, just from doing that. When we lived in Arkansas, we had a lot of blackberries that were native to the area. We would dig them up and replant them in places where they knew they would do better, not even on our land. Just places like where there's a rut in the road and the cars go through and there was like a little mini swale of water there. And you plant that plant there, that plant just takes off, takes care of itself. So grow the things that want to grow for you. Next, grow climate appropriate, highly disease resistant annuals in your regular gardens. If any of you all are familiar with a gentleman named Sepp Holzer, amazing guy, Austrian Alps, grew lemon tree in the middle of the Austrian Alps. People get into this, they want to do that, forget it. Grow the things that are going to grow well for you and grow what you like to eat. And last, barter or sell your surplus because you're not going to grow everything. Got a gentleman in my audience here, David. David has sold goldfish to yuppies for $50 because he calls them Asian heirloom carp. Now, you're not going to sell, right? Now, these are little goldfish you buy for $0.09, feeders. Put them in a little pond in your backyard. We do aquaculture here. That's one of my favorite ways to grow food as well. That little fish grows up to about that big in a year and a half. You can't sell a hundred thousand of them, but you can sell five or four every year. That just paid for all your feed for all your fish for the whole year. Start thinking that way. Exchange with your neighbors. Get money for what you can't barter for. If you can sell some, we sell duck eggs. We sell duck eggs for $8 a dozen and we sell them as if we push any marketing behind it, we sell every duck that comes out of uh, every egg that comes out of a duck's butt. Now I can't grow beef on this property, but I can sell duck eggs. And I can buy beef. And uh, biggest thing with the barter, try to pay for your costs with your barter and your sales. Do that first. Everybody wants to go into business. Great idea. But if you can cover your costs first, then you can scale your business infinitely. Um, next, I want to talk a little bit about money and banking. We're going to make a big turn right there. Um, I kind of split my cryptocurrency world into two worlds. My above board, lily white, bought it through KYC. Yeah, I got it. No, you can't have it unless you can guess a 256-bit encryption. Bitcoin. And that's the primary crypto. I call myself not really a, a, a Bitcoin maximalist. I call myself a shitcoin minimalist. But I put most of my assets that I pull out of their state system into Bitcoin. Then for privacy, Monero, pirate chain, et cetera. And that's what we need to be using for commerce between each other to keep our business quiet. The reason I recommend that you do have money in Bitcoin is I know what's coming. We are going to get to that world that Michael Saylor has been talking about. Or if you have a few million dollars in Bitcoin, you can borrow against it for the rest of your life, never pay taxes on it legally, and never run out of money. And if you have that all hidden away and you can't explain where it came from, then you're going to have a problem when you surface with it and try to do that with it because that is going to require working with a third party to be able to do that. And that's going to be a risk that you don't want to take. So I like splitting those two worlds apart. And I think we all need to build personal enterprises. I'm I'm really big on building full-on businesses. I built the business that I have today because one day I got sick and tired of doing what I was doing. And I was a, I was a, a partner in four companies at the time. And I just got sick of it. I hated it. I hated dealing with employees. I hated dealing with everything. I took a $19 headset and an $18 MP3 recorder, got in my car, and I built a business that's a multi-six-figure income business. I'm not that good. If I can do it, you can do it. Maybe not with podcasting, but you can do it. I took that business from zero to full time in 12 months. It took me 18 months to go full time So I told my my uh, partner. And those other companies I wanted to leave he asked me to give him six more months than I did out of honor and respect for what he had done for me, but basically, you can take a business from zero to a full-time income in a year with about two or three hundred bucks is really what I had into it at that point for some hosting and a little bit of graphics design. but I poured my passion into it, which I was able to do because I found by the way those heroes of mine, Jeff Lawton and Bill mollison. I had that concept of lifestyle design I did not just fall into it i designed it and if you're going to build a personal enterprise that's what you should be doing design it to fit your life if you hate employees don't build a big company build a one-man show show and don't even have like contractual partners out task you give a task the guy does it goes away if you like working with people if you like teams then build your business that way don't see it as you have to build something huge though Just build what frees you and liberates you to live the way that you want to live. If it's a little farm business, fine. I know a guy, all he does is like haul stuff for people. Makes about 700 bucks a week. Just because people don't have pickup trucks and stuff. Brought us some dirt when my truck was down. Pulled in, dumped it, So that's all I do, Bye. Took his money and left. Hey, we recently talked about this on the show, and we came up with the concept of it's not how can you make money, it's how can you not make money. There are so many ways that you can build a profitable enterprise if you'll commit and if you'll design it to fit your life. What will make it work isn't the idea. It's the design. It's the design outgoing so that it follows the fundamental rules of business, but it's the design incoming so that you actually love doing it. So you don't hate yourself every day when you're at the end of the day. When I used to come home from my old my old world, I I walked in the door did the right thing, give, gave my wife a kiss on the cheek and I went straight out the back door to my garden and I watered it. I drank a beer and I stayed out there for about 30 minutes so I could stop being the person I was at work. That person's now been dead for like 10 years. And it's because of that design philosophy. Next up, censorship. I told you we were going to go all over today. Censorship's a huge problem. We all know that. There's been a lot of discussion about it already. We've been watching the live streams here. There's a lot of solutions out there. My biggest thing is they are fucking losing. Okay? They're losing. And they know they're losing. They are becoming ridiculous in their censorship. They are everything they disagree with is racist, white supremacist, extremist, etc. Everything to the point where the words have lost all meaning. So what we need to do keep talking, keep pushing, and mock them. Mock them mercilessly, point out their hypocrisy mercilessly and never shut up. I just went to YouTube jail. That's why I'm wearing the gulag shirt today. A couple of weeks ago, I went to YouTube jail for seven days because I dared speak the truth about COVID. And you know what I did the first day that I was back on YouTube? I spoke the truth about COVID again. Somehow I got through the Nazis that time, but I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to stop. I don't want any of you guys to do it either. Push. This is like we're in a basketball game. We're down by a little bit, but the momentum, you've all seen games like this when the momentum's shifted, even though the other teams down, you know, like it's over. They're going to come back. And you know what you do when you get in that position? You don't lay back. You don't ease up. You don't put your B team in full court fucking press. That's what you do full court press. And on the, on the free speech thing, on the censorship thing, we're, we have the tools being built. The problem will solve itself on that end. While we're here, full-court press. Next thing, you don't trust these platforms to do things that are important. If you're doing a trucker convoy to, to freaking Canada, you don't build all your communications on freaking Facebook so they can wait till you have 200,000 people on a page and shut it down. Siphon from these platforms. Build. Build on them. But from the day you start building, you really should go over here. You re- Just keep telling your members or your, your community – Here's the other place. They're going to shut us down. Be prepared for this. Get as many of them in the door already. And then every time they shut something down, we win more. We push more to float. We push more to gab. We push more to odyssey. I wish, I, honest to God, wish they would ban all of us influencers wholesale right now all at the same time because we would instantly be able to pull all our communities at once. They're, so, they're selective about how they do it and when they do it. They do it at the time where it hurts the most. And they do it to one or two or three people at a time. And they do that because they don't want to lose everybody at once. They want people to be like, oh, he's gone now. Too bad. And then you just keep using it. You just keep letting them harvest in your data. Don't trust them. Siphon. Take everybody you can with you. I'm off Facebook, but how many of you still see me? You guys here, right? You see me, I'm still there. I'm shit posting, honest to God, and I'm saying, Come follow me. Come off this. Stop using this platform that's selling your information, selling your kids' information. But siphon off it while it's still there. And used, I'm a marketer, banned video marketing. Greatest thing in the world, when they ban one of my videos, this is the video that Google did not want you to see. All of a sudden, people that would never want to see it, want to see it. So the problem is the solution. They banned your video. They banned your article. They banned you. Market that. Clearly, I have something that they're scared of. That's how we build momentum with this. Medicine and healthcare, another huge problem. Huge problem in the world today. Again, I know there's a lot of people that are listening to this on the stream that have probably made a decision to go vegan or to go vegetarian. And if that's what you're gonna do, that's fine. I personally have become a very strong follower of Ken Berry, Dr. Ken Berry, and his concept of keto, but he actually calls it the proper human diet. And that we as human beings evolved primarily eating proteins and fats. And the reason we know this is true anthropologically is there are no year-round major uh, quantities of carbohydrates in nature. Like, unless you live in the tropics, if you go pre-ag, you're not living on carbohydrates. It doesn't exist. The, in the research I've done, and just this is going back 5,000 years plus back, the number one food source in the world used by humans, was shellfish, as in bivalves, as in mussels, as in oysters, as in clams. Now, why? They don't run away. They don't run away. They're available year-round. You put your settlement on a river or an ocean, and there's food. And there are banks that we found. We thought were burial mounds when we first found them. Huge, bigger than giant hangers. All they are is shellfish, shells. Maybe they built they buried their king or whatever in there because hey, we got this pretty big pile. But that's how much they were eating. Now they're extremely high in fat and cholesterol. And if it was going to kill us, we wouldn't be here because we would have all died by now. So I think that the majority of our diseases in the world today that are chronic diseases, ongoing diseases, or lifestyle diseases. Type two diabetes is not diabetes. It shouldn't be called diabetes. It's not diabetes. It's insulin resistance. A diabetic born with a condition or they evolve into that condition where they cannot make insulin. A type 2 diabetic makes insulin. They make more insulin than they're supposed to, and it doesn't perform the right functions in their body. And that's why today there's almost as many dialysis clinics in major cities on street corners as our fast food joints. You just drive from here down to Fort Worth, you'll see two dialysis clinics on one road before you get downtown Fort Worth. It's only 15, 20 minutes away from here. And the major reason for that today and the major reason for other organ failure is type 2 diabetes. It's really insulin resistance. So if you're vegan, if you're vegetarian, that's fine too because I'm going to tell you something. Every choice that's a designed way to eat that avoids processed foods and a standard American diet is a better choice. And I've met people that are vegans that are very healthy. I've met vegetarians that are very healthy. I have met people that are carnivore, which I'm mostly carnivore, are very healthy. I have never met a person that when I look at them, I really see a healthy person who's eating junk food, who's eating stuff out of bags, who's eating out of fast food windows. That diet is killing more people than any freaking COVID virus could ever hope to. We're losing hundreds of thousands of people every year who don't have to die to dietary choice. So that's my number one suggestion for healthcare and medicine. Number two, ask yourself, am I healthy? Are you really healthy? When you get up in the morning, if 10 minutes after you get up, you still can't cognitively think, you're not healthy. Right? You're not. I don't mean that you're excited and you're ready to like climb a tree, but people that are in brain fog for the first hour after they get up, your ancestors couldn't live that way because they were sleeping around a campfire somewhere. They got eaten by a saber tooth. We have to be able to wake up and function. That's one way. When you look down, You stand up. This was not true of me just a few years ago. You stand straight up, not like this, and you look straight down at your feet. Do you see your toes? I don't care what anybody tells you. If you don't see your toes when you look down like that, you are not healthy. And you can make simple lifestyle choices. And then all this medical expense stuff, it will still be there. You'll still have people that get cancers. Yes, there are pathogens that give us diseases. But we'll actually rely on medicine so much less. And we also need to be taking care of ourselves. And I'm a big fan of herbal medicine, huge fan. And I don't think everybody needs to be a master herbalist. I'm going to give you a title of a book. The Herbal Medicine Makers Handbook by James Green. One book, it'll cost you about 25 bucks. You don't need to take online courses, get that book. It will walk you through the basic safe herbs. And it will teach you how to make a tincture. It will teach you how to make a salve. It will teach you how to make a compress. And actually learn by doing. And start solving your small problems that are easy to solve with medicine from your backyard and lifestyle choices. Last, you want to get a direct primary care physician. Direct primary care. If you're taking notes, write that down. And I have on that resource page I gave you an interview with a doctor that does that. You pay them a monthly fee. They are your doctor. And they hand all those all this stuff that they ship you off the specialist for and you wait three weeks for. They handle it quick. It won't replace your health insurance, but it'll make your life a lot better. And you'll have something else if you do a good interview process before you pick your direct primary care physician. An advocate. If you do end up in the hospital, you have a doctor who is your advocate, not some moron following a protocol. They can actually say, in my medical judgment, this does not need to happen. And so when you build a relationship that you know you can trust. So I can't solve all these problems, but I want to give you these highlighted ways to do impactful things. Moving on. Government controlled education. If you look around you right now, those of you down in Mexico, those of you at other watch parties, those of you right here at my place. And you see free thinking people. And every time I run one of these events at my place, I see what happens. The day y'all are supposed to go home, we end up having to push some of you out the gate. Nobody wants to leave. My wife and I have to put our lives back together and get back to what we're doing. We don't push that hard and because this is why. Two or three people left and they're talking. You know what they don't want to do? They don't want to turn their back, walk away and have the feeling when you're surrounded by the people you're surrounded with right now go away. You found people that think for themselves. You found people that don't think it's weird that you want to grow your own food. You found people that don't think it's weird that you stay prepared in life for things that can go wrong. And you think when I leave here, I'm going to go home and it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. You want to change that? You want to make more of us? Take your kids away from the frickin beast. Only a fool would ask his enemy. To educate his children. That's a quote from Malcolm X. I completely agree. The state is your enemy. Do not send your children off to Rome for education and be surprised when they come back as a Roman. They're being trained. I have my two grandkids sitting right here. My wife does a hell of a lot more of the work than I do, but we homeschool them. They're thriving with homeschooling. We use a program called Excelus. I don't care if you use a program like that, I don't care if you roll your own. I don't care if you unschool. Every way is better. And stop asking. Stop saying you can't do it. Those of you that say you can't do it, stop it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not going to say it's going to come without sacrifice. But I'll tell you how to get it done. Every one of you will find an answer if you do this. Ask yourself, how, I, how can I? And everything else we talked about, how can I? Stop saying you can't do shit. And don't think you can just like use some sort of metaphysics and say, I know I can. And then you will. doesn't work that way. Right. Try to say that and jump off a building. You get a real quick explanation that that's not how life works. That's how the universe works. But you have the most powerful computer known to us right inside your head. That gray matter, that three pounds. And when you give it a challenge that is worthy of its program, it will take it on. And when you say, how can I do this thing? Even when you forget about it, it will be running background processes. You'll find solutions. Some of them you may not like. Some of them you may not be willing to sacrifice or give things up for. But if you keep asking, you'll find a way to do it. One thing that COVID did, about the one real blessing I think we got out of it, well, there's two. One, it woke people to fuck up. But two, it made everybody for a time a homeschooler. And they realized this is maybe not the easiest thing in the world at first, but I can do it. And homeschooling has grown by millions in the last couple of years. Take the kids away from the state. They do not deserve access to them. The end next. If you don't have kids. Realize that right now, just from this stream. There's people that are finally asking themselves, how can I? Ask yourself, since you don't have kids, how can I help? You'd be amazed what could happen. One retired teacher says, you know what? I I can't have kids in my home five days a week. But I can for one. You get some parents together. Each parent says, I can take one day off work a week and be home. And let the kids move around if that's what you have to do. There's opportunity in this too. We start combining these things. It's called function stacking. There's a lot of homeschool parents. They have money. They want creative curriculum for their children. We use out school. My granddaughter loves it. She sings when she's watching out school. Every one of those instructors make a little bit of money for every kid that shows up to their class. They do it remotely. If you have a farm, do tours. Have homeschool kids come in. You can do things for free. You can also do things. You can put workshops together. Build maker spaces. Do things to enable homeschooling. Do things to help homeschoolers. Let's stop calling it homeschooling. Let's call it what it is, a proper education. Instead of a proper human diet, how about a proper human education? Learning from your parents. Learning from your extended family. Learning from the adults around you. I don't want to raise a young boy. I don't want him to grow up to be a boy. I don't want her to grow up to be a girl. I want to raise a man and a woman. And we do that by surrounding you with good men and women. So help, however you can. Ask yourself, how can I help? And I wanna come back around here to the beginning. When I started this, I was completely unknown in media. I was not known as a podcaster, and I certainly wasn't known as a permaculturist. When I really started this, I thought permaculture meant instead of planting corn, you planted trees. It was that simple. I quickly latched onto it. I found that hero in Bill Mollis. I found that hero in Jeff Logan. And I immersed myself. On that page I gave, the Survival Podcast for Slash Mexico, tons of information. But there's a link there to a 155-page document from lectures that Bill did in 1981. I probably read that, every word of it, front to back, 40 times in the first year after I found it. It changed everything about how I thought. And I started teaching permaculture on my podcast. I didn't know how people that I first attracted with the concept of survivalism would take the permaculture. Turns out they liked it because it actually solved the problem of being dependent on systems by building your own systems and replacing them. And I found myself speaking at major conferences. And I got to meet one of my heroes, Jeff Lawton, and I got to speak alongside of him. It was a pretty big deal for me. It was amazing. But I actually had him come up behind me, put his arm on my shoulder and say, hey, I heard the end of your presentation. That was amazing. But that's because I found something worth emulating instead of something I couldn't do. I found the right kind of hero. I got to speak alongside Alan Savory. I got to speak alongside Joel Salatin. I got to speak with Mark Shepard. But I never got to meet Bill. Never got to meet Bill. It's always been like an empty thing. But the second year I did permaculture voices, I was explaining the permaculture ethics the way I took them to some people that were more of the uh, purple breather is what we refer to them kindly as. They thought the ethics were all about basically socialism. And I was explaining my view of the third ethic, and that it was about making sure that we take surplus and we return it to the goal of the first two: care of earth and care of people. That if we were exporting surplus, that was the very definition of destroying any system. Natural or otherwise. You can't constant, that's called mining, not farming. This guy, big red beard, red head, young guy. So I rather like that. Clearly Australian. And somebody said, let me introduce you to this guy who's Bill's grandson. Was pretty awesome. And he told me that Bill knew who I was. I think that's a life well lived. I really do. What we're doing is so important. We need to realize that there are so few of us. It feels like when we gather, there's so many, but we are so few. We all have to live this way. We all have to live with intention. We all have to design our lives and we all have to find something to chase that's worthy of stretching us. That makes us do more. Because if we don't, in Bill's words, The bastards will run over everything. And I don't know about you. But I'm here to fight the bastards. And I don't have to just do it with a podcast. I do it when I teach my grandson how to grow food. I do it when my granddaughter learns about other countries and she's excited about it. I do it when I bring you guys together. And we share food together and drink. And we celebrate what we are. That's fighting. I do it when I teach others how to design their lives. My biggest paydays aren't the paychecks. My biggest paydays when I get an email, I started a business two years ago, just resigned from my job. That, that is an intentional decision that person made and they've emulated something that anybody can do. Guys, this stuff isn't as hard as you've been convinced it is. It's like starting a fire. You take an oak log, throw it on the ground, light a match and touch it to it, nothing happens. It seems hard to start a fire. If you know the process, a little bit of tinder, a little bit of kindling, throw a match in it. Next thing you know, you got a fire. Why? You followed the process. The process for designing your life is very simple. That's why they don't teach it to you in school. If they did, we'd all go off and do things that were actually worth doing instead of serving them. It's you define what you want. And you reverse engineer the process to get to that place. You don't define what you think is success because someone else defined it for you. You have to design that for yourself. You have to determine for yourself, what do I really want? And once you actually know what that is, I'll give you the real secret. It's almost impossible to fail. We only fail because we don't define the goal. And the goal is that I want to be rich. The goal is this is exactly when I wake up in the morning, what I want my life to be like. These are the people that I want to be around me. These are the people that I don't want to be around. And there's nothing they can throw at us that we can't desire our way around. Not a single thing. Find your hero. Be more like them. And replicate yourself. That's how we win. Thank you. Well, guys, uh, I'll let you know... Uh, while I did that uh, presentation, it was the first time I actually watched it all the way through uh, after stripping it down and getting it integrated into here. Um, that was one of the uh, most enjoyable presentations uh, that I ever got to do. And I want to take just a moment right now to say thank you to those of you who took time out of your life to be here for that. I couldn't have done it alone. I I couldn't have presented like that alone. There's uh there's something to a live audience that gives a presenter. If they, if they know how to draw on it energy and lets them take things to different levels. Thank you. Let's go through some of the stuff that came in during that and chat about it. Um, not a lot of all caps, but when I asked the question about personal enterprises, uh, a lot of stuff did come up and a few other things did that I highlighted. If, if while we're doing the feedback section, if anything, uh, comes up that you want me to comment on again, all caps and I'll try to scroll through and find it. I'm going to go to the stuff I did star right now though. Uh, Pip Gal, who was commenting a lot during that said, uh, stealth plant for southerners, uh, Discoria alata, white yam. No one would guess its food. That's a wild starchy tuber. Um, it is probably one of the most, uh, easy to grow calorie crops. It is a carbohydrate crop. And uh, Rob Greenfield, uh, who did the experiment where he lived on nothing but what he could grow, forage, or barter for uh, in a backyard in Florida for a full year, uh, was really big on wild yams. So I would agree with that. On personal enterprises, Dodo Bird says, eyeing a 26-acre property plus tiny house, uh, eyeing a 26-acre property and house outside Corsicana, to turn into a glamping biz. Uh, so you're just gonna be uh, my southern neighbor. neighbor. I actually looked at property down there for a major development, and I think what you're doing you'll have no problems with, and it's a good reason to do it. I was looking at a 600-acre property down there to do the original uh, concept of Herm Ethos with, and the one thing I'll tell you about that county is doing any kind of off-grid development is gonna be as expensive as doing an on-grid development. Um, and it's all because, guess what? <laughs> The super collider, uh, they were going to build the super collider in whatever county Corsicana is in. And due to that, they put all these onerous uh, development regulations in place. And then when the super collider went away, you know, there's nothing so permanent uh, as a temporary government uh, program. So a lot of the things you hear me talk about in uh, Texas with unincorporated parts of the county do not apply in that county. I don't know how it would affect you, Dodo Bird, but just check into that. Just check into that. I think for glamping, it probably won't mean a damn thing. Let me say a little thing about the glamping model. I think it's one of the coolest, lowest cost development businesses you can do. So if you think about it, if I wanted to set up a little place with like four cabins on it, if I do the cabins, they are going to be cabins that people could sleep in and hang out in and they don't look like crap. Even if I'm starting with a tough shed, I probably have minimum $20,000 per cabin and then I have a cabin that I have to maintain and then if I do it for that price it'll never have everything and I'll have people complaining well why don't I have a washing machine well because you're in a 10 by 10 cabin stupid um let's compare that to doing like a glamping development so we go in and we build a basic uh deck structure but instead of decking it because it's going to be covered we can use plywood we throw down something like some five inch plywood on top of it and then we put a tent over it a wall tent I lived exactly that way for six months in Honduras. It wasn't bad. It was much better than being in the dirt. Uh, We had GP mediums. You could get surplus GP mediums. Um, I don't think I would do it with GP smalls. It's not that they're not big enough. They don't, GP smalls, if I remember right, round. or you could do a commercial wall tent. Some of the commercial wall tents look like the old commercial wall tents. Um, You could rent that. You put it on sites like hip camp. And if you need to get rid of somebody, you can get rid of somebody really fast because they're not a tenant. I think that's a fantastic business model, and it's one that I've, you know, remained excited about. And I'm actually investigating doing it myself. I think it makes a lot of sense for properties that you want to be, you know, two to three hour away bug out properties. And then, how can I make the property pay for itself? I don't think you'll make the property pay for itself 100% that way, but that would be one of multiple revenue streams you could do. Tom, who is my, when he hears me say Tom the web guy or Tom my web guy, it's the Tom I'm talking about. He says he's been thinking about starting up a business to help local companies accept crypto payments. I think it's a brilliant idea. Not something think you're thinking too small. I think you should set up a company to help businesses start accepting cryptocurrencies, local and or otherwise, since, you know, with the technology we're using right now, a cheap uh, stream yard room and things like that, and then remote terminal access, you could literally do this for anybody anywhere on the planet. So that's the only addle to it. And I told Tom by chat while we were going through that, uh, You have a good reference if you want it for being able to help empower and enable crypto payments. And I have my own way for the most basic stuff, but like Tom was a huge help in helping me set up the stuff with the streaming satoshis and stuff like that. And I have a feeling I'll be calling on him for some more stuff very, very soon. But I think any of you that this is, I think, one of the things you have to think about when it comes to starting a business, especially when you get into a technical business like what Tom's doing. Don't assume what you know is too basic. Don't assume that. So if you want to start accepting crypto payments right now and you have an e-commerce enabled website already, there's multiple plugins that you can install. I think one is like cryptocurrency pay or something, the one that, that includes pirate, right? And you, you buy this plugin and you install it in WordPress, which is about is like, it's clicking some buttons, right? And then you tick the box on all the cryptos you want to accept and then you enter addresses and then you're accepting cryptocurrency. And it's that easy. And I think there's a lot of technical people would be like, you know, I'm not going to get a lot of customers doing something that easy. It's too quick. It's too fast. You know what? That's your $99 entry level product. I will turn cryptocurrency payments on for you, get you set up with basic wallets and addresses and tell you where to download the wallets. If you want me to hand walk you through how to install wallets and how they work, the most basic form, that's another $99. And if you want to be completely coached We'll do that by the hour for what you need beyond those two things. There's a $200 customer gate entry, and you probably have – once you get good at it, once you've done it a few times, this is assuming that you're using a WordPress blog, right? You might have to charge differently, but most people use WordPress-enabled blogs to run their websites. You could probably do the setup in 15 minutes. You could probably do the basic walkthrough in 30 so that's $200 in 45 minutes. Do the hourly on that. I think that's a pretty good way to do things. And I, I don't think many people would would balk at it. And the ones that did aren't going to ask you to do it because they're going to do it for themselves. Next up, I got Stymie. Snurdly says, I'm in that spot right now. I absolutely hate where I'm at. Need a lifestyle change. I don't remember what we were talking about at that point. But I want to encourage people that feel like this. Just fucking do it. And there, another angel got its wings. If you paid attention to the chat, you know what that's about, right? Like there's so many people. I need a lifestyle change. I need a lifestyle change. I need a lifestyle change. If if you keep saying that, but basically what you're saying to yourself is my life sucks and I really need it to get better. But you know what you're not saying? How do I make it better? So you need to start challenging. What lifestyle change do I want? How do I get there? And it's amazing what happens. I've been thinking recently, I'm about to have Justin Rhodes on, on, on the show again, I think next month. Uh, Justin's very well-known, uh, YouTube personality. Uh, he's got a book out. He's got some electronic courses. He does very, very well for himself. Huge YouTube channel, way more subscribers than me at this point. But I was thinking about that in all my discussion about design. This is what Justin did. He knew what he loved. He loved farming. He loved chickens, and he loved everything that goes along with permaculture. He wanted to be something in it. He only knew so much about the core subject and he could only learn so much about the core subject and he figured out, well, I only need to know a little bit to start and I'll learn as I go. And that's the easy part. So what he did is he researched, how do you build an online business? And then he designed that online business. One of the first steps he took was he got enough in place that he didn't look like an idiot When he took step two, step two was he reached out to every influencer he could find in the space, including me, and I had him on the show. And then he used the influencers as a stepping stone. And I don't mean used us in a negative way. Used them as a stepping stone to establish a brand and then built from there. He did it very professionally. I recognize the formula. It's the same one I teach. And it was that simple. He built a design for what he wanted and then executed the design. And that is the only way you're going to get the fuck out, another angel got its wings, right, of a situation where you're saying, I need a lifestyle change. Needing a thing does not make a thing happen. Seeking a thing, questing for a thing, designing for a thing, asking how I can get a thing, those make those things happen. That's why I started that one. Pip Gal said, I started a seed company last year from nothing, no upfront cost, Learn the hard way after spending thirty thousand front on a day spa, which I had no time to market. Big life lesson. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can start for almost no real money, and I think that this is what I'm going to say about starting for no real money. A thousand bucks is not real money. Well done for starting a business. So I would consider a business that you could start and get off the ground for about a thousand dollars to be a no real cost business because. If you were to take a course that would teach you the basic fundamentals of rolling out a business by anybody that knew what the fuck they were doing with it, wings. Um, it's going to be a thing now who started that. I'm going to remember who did that in the comments. Anyway, um, it would cost you way more than a thousand bucks. If you said, Jack, all I want, dude, I just want to come hang out with you one day a week and have you mentor me through a business. For for two months, so eight eight days, how much is it gonna be? And I'd like, you know, if you have to ask how much it's gonna be, don't worry, because it ain't gonna happen. And I I might give you a number and if you actually have the money, be like, Yeah, I just raised my price and I'll keep raising because I don't even wanna do it. But coming up from the ground up and formulating this is gonna be my business model, this is gonna be my product. This is how my product's going to go to market. This is how I'm going to price my product. And all the shit you do and you screw up along the way, all the stubbing of toes and breaking of knees along the way will make you stronger at the end of that journey. And in a year, if you take the approach of, I'm going to actually learn enough to design this, you'll have a successful business. Now, will it be the business that you do for the rest of your life? Maybe, maybe not. I did a lot of things in my life that were successful but they weren't home runs or they didn't really bring me great pleasure. And I kept doing different things until I found the thing that I really wanted to do. Um, same question about enterprise scoots as a market garden. I think that's a great plan as well, but I really encourage you then to look at the work of um, Curtis. Uh, what, what the hell is his last Curtis? God, where's his last name go? Brain cell just died. Um, but Curtis from Canada, why can't I think of his, it's driving me nuts now. Somebody's going to tell me and be like, stupid, you know, you worked with him, you've interviewed him, he was on the goose team. Yeah, um, I know. And for some reason right now, I just can't. All right. Anyway, look into what he teaches. And one of the biggest things, stone, jeez. And no, nobody gave it to me. It just fell out of my head when I stopped trying. So one of his biggest lessons to people who want to take the market garden route, is do not try to grow 200 things. Find like 10 to 12 things that sell and sell fast, and it's going to be mostly leafy greens, and have a few things that you kind of have to have to attract the business. Maybe it's some kind of special colored carrot or something like that. But figure out, and even if you come out of the gate with 20, and you're doing okay, do the math, and you're going to find that X number of crops make more than 80% of your revenue. And start calling like you're calling, you know, chickens that have deformities. Don't have a thing just to have it. I think that's the biggest advice I can give with a market garden. And remember market garden, you're marketing your garden. You can grow food. Growing food is not hard. It's the marketing that's going to pay the dividends. Um, Dawn says hubs is thinking of a food truck with New Zealand recipes. I don't know much about the overhead there. I think it would be pretty high, but I'm telling you right now, if I was somewhere and I was thinking about getting a bite to eat, especially a place where food trucks kind of hung out, and I saw one that was saying it was New Zealand recipes, I'd go order something just to find out what the hell that meant, and I'd be in two places with it. What exactly is a New Zealand recipe? And the other place I would be is I can take my wife there, and I know that it's going to be basic enough. It's not going to be like, if it was an Ethiopian food truck, I'm all over that. I can see my wife like, I'm going to go somewhere else, right? Like that's going to be, I think, enough kind of meat and potatoes traditional, but yeah, enough, like I want to know. And if you're good, then maybe you start to build a book of business. I think that's an interesting idea. Um, So I asked a question, and we did already disclose it. So um, Dr. Barry refers to ketogenic eating, carnivore diet, as a proper human diet i.e. that's how humans traditionally ate and that's how we evolved as a species. And I was thinking about it right in the middle of that presentation you guys just watched with a proper human education. See, I think that obviously we're going to have problems in our lives. If the proper human diet is all natural foods, highly animal-based, and our ancestors would have naturally sought out the highest fat animal-based foods they could find because it's satiating, it tastes good, we like it, we crave it, and it carries us great distances. And once we began to develop any level of technology, i.e. throw salt on the meat and it doesn't rot, right, or hang it in the smoke of a fire with some salt on it and it doesn't rot, fat doesn't preserve well that way. So we would have eaten the fat first. We would have seen our protein, our lean protein as a survival food. We would have fed on the organs, the internal fat, et cetera, first. And that's how we would have come up. And if we would have been born anywhere, like I said, outside of the tropics, you before agriculture, you really wouldn't have had a choice. Like if you get outside of the tropics and subtropics, you can't get high, high calorie food and nutrient food in the form of carbohydrates. It doesn't exist in nature. All that shit. You go to the produce section of the market. You see all those wonderful apples and pears and stuff like 5,000 years ago, I think it's like 2,000, maybe 2,500 years ago, somewhere in that range. Most of the world, you couldn't have found an apple. Every apple we have originated in what's today called Kazakhstan. It, it, until we like spread it out from there, it didn't even exist. So they're all gone. Citrus fruit only grows in the tropics. That's all gone. Bananas only grow in the tropics. That's all gone. Pears grow in, you know, temperate climates, but they're only there in the fall. So nine months out of the year, that's all gone. So. That natural human diet makes a lot of sense. And if we deviate from it, it's going to harm us. Put a lion in a zoo and feed him dog kibble, and he'll start to get diseases. And, you know, uh, basically fatty tumors and things like that. He'll get diabetes. His teeth will rot. Put a lion out on the Serengeti, and, like, eventually he's going to get old, and his kids are going to kill him, but he's going to be in the prime of health up till that point. What about education, guys? What is a proper human education? How did humans learn for thousands upon thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of years by being surrounded by members of their own community and striving to be like the, the adults that were seen as intelligent and good leaders and conscientious. Like if you go into any tribal society, you don't have anybody out running their mouth in the middle of the, of the village square. It never happens. A guy that does that shit. The rest of the tribe, like, beats his ass, throws him in a hole, feeds him the piranhas, whatever, right? You don't do that. Like, if you're going to be in a community like that, if you're going to be in a naturally uh, occurring human community without a state, without government, without protection for assholes, that's what you're going to have. You're going to have the, the people who do the most for their fellow man will rise, and children are going to be, want to be like them instead of be like Kardashians and have fat asses. That's a proper human education. So if you want to know what's wrong with us physically, look at our diet and we need a PhD, a proper human diet. But if you want to know what's wrong with us emotionally and spiritually and intellectually, then maybe it's because we need a proper human education. Uh, real quick one here, best cold storage wallet. They're all great. They're none of them are bad. Seriously, pick what you want. I use Trezor and I only use it and actually switch to it because it works seamlessly with Exodus as a software wallet. Meaning when I pull up my phone or my computer and my Exodus wallet, there's only a few hundred dollars in Bitcoin in there that can be spent. There's only maybe a few bucks and some other things. And all the rest of it is all on a Trezor wallet, but I can see it, but you can't move it until the two come together or you can move it independently with just the Trezor. And the next time they come together, they'll sync again. But, all of them are good. There are no bad, um, highly available crypto cold storage wallets. Uh, you can also, like if you're only doing Bitcoin especially and you want some help, uh, keys.casa, I've heard great things about that. It's a multi-sig uh, it's, it, wallet. You do have a third party involved, but it's still non-custodial in, in that they can't take your money or turn your money over to somebody else from the way I understand it. Uh, this comment I thought was really, really important um, to discuss and comment on. Gauss says, I finally lost the fear. I end a fight by doing it my way. Big change will come with small changes from us all. Losing the fear is everything. 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 Until you lose the fear, you can't accomplish shit. They will take from you everything you manage to accomplish even by accident until you lose fear because fear will lead you to be, make shitty choices and sabotage yourself. We have to live our lives fearlessly. I'll, whenever I talk about fear, I always say there's a place for fear. It's very temporary, and it has to be balanced by logic and reason and still thinking. I'm standing in a the road. There's a vehicle traveling at me at high speed. I got to get the fuck out of the way. Another angel got a twinge, right? But I got to get out of the way. If I don't, squish, just like great. But I also have to be rational. Do I want to go what seems to be the best way to go? The closest side of the road that I'm on and off? What if there's a cliff there? Do I want to go across the road? What if there's traffic coming the other direction? I have to, in that split second, even driven by fear, I still have to make the most rational-based decision that I can. But until you let go of fear, when you're even, when you're in the positions where fear has a purpose, you'll make even worse decisions than you will on a day to day basis when you're fearing things that you really shouldn't be afraid of. It amazes me. It amazes me guys that people actually will fail to act because if I achieve somebody might take it away from me. So what? So what the fuck are you going to do? You're going to prove them wrong by never having anything to be taken away from you. You're going to achieve absolutely nothing. That's how you're going to fight. That's bullshit, guys. Do what Pip Gal did. Release your fear. Release your fear. I don't even have to say more than that when it comes. Like, what do you do next? You'll know. You'll know because (laughs) you take a proper human diet, proper human education. That's what we're working on here today, proper human education. And you let go of fear you'll realize I can't ever answer that question for you. What do I do next? I don't know. How would I know? How how would it ever be possible that I would know what you should do with your life and your freedom? What's the quote? I can't remember exactly. You know, it would be like the one thing I don't want is for another person to live for me. I don't want that burden. I don't want somebody to live for me. And I can't live for you. You let go of fear. And you figure out what you want to do next. I can't figure out that next step for you anymore. Than I can go out in the beautiful morning. With a steaming cup of hot coffee. Sit on my back porch. And watch the sun rise. For you. I can do that. But I can only do it for me. And you can only do it for you. And both of us have to choose. Is seeing the sunrise this morning in real time and watching the colors of the sky change, is it worth getting out of bed for today? Do I want to dream a little longer? Do I want to sit on the couch with the cat? Do I want to pet the dog? Do I want to get an early start on work? Or do I want to take in a quiet contemplation out on the porch and watch the sunrise? But no matter the decision you make, not only can the only person that does it be you to make that decision but the only one that experiences it can be you now guys that's what you got to do you got to have the courage you got to have the absolute courage to make that choice and make that decision for yourself still got a lot of comments coming in guys but uh we're over an hour there i still need to uh compose the audio portion that's going to go out the intro and the exit so i'm going to Step out. And I just want to say if you heard this today because somebody shared it with you, uh, even if you weren't here, um, for, uh, the live version of it and you're like, who is this guy? This seems pretty good. Please like and subscribe to me here on YouTube. But what's more important than that is get over to my website, the survival podcast.com and pick one way at least of tying directly into me and my community because I'm pretty good. I am. My community's better than me. You want to be part of this community. This community is why I can do what I do. This community is what supported me in doing this for 14 years now. We'll be 14 in June. This community is what supported me through over 3,000 episodes. I think we're at 3,038 episodes today. Um, this community is why I had like the pod himself, Adam Curry on yesterday. And we talked about a lot of things like being censor-proof and being future-proof. And I put a lot of things in place for that. But I'll tell you right now, I've been to YouTube jail before. I'm going to go to YouTube jail again. So if you found this and you like this, do not rely on YouTube. That was in my speech. Guys, I practice what I preach. Get off this platform other than it's great that we can communicate through StreamYard on it. That's what I like about it. And when I put content there, it ends up in a bunch of other places, too, because it sinks. But if you get on my site, go to get social, subscribe to, or subscribe and get on my email list, get on my Telegram announcement channel, get connected to me. So when they shut me down, because sooner or later, they're going to shut me off. They don't like truth. They hate truth. It's like a person that's been in darkness for 20 years and you let a pinprick of light come in. It burns their eyes i don 't mean that meta you know metaphysically or spiritual it, but it's true people that live on lies hate truth, and sooner or later they 'll silence it. so please get over to the dot com and if you uh want all those resources I talked about again, the uh, page is the dot com forward slash mexico I will catch you guys again with another episode. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did um I've done a lot with live streaming since I've discovered StreamYard, and I really think it helps make the show better. I know sometimes there are some visual elements, that, and the majority of you guys don't watch videos. You listen to the audio, and I know a piece or two may uh, get lost, but I'm hoping the additional content and the feedback I'm getting is making me a better podcaster for you guys that are kind of more in the audio side of the house. And uh, if you ever listen to one of these again, and you're like, man, I kind of want to see that video or see how that went down, Um, you can just go to the site and go to my YouTube channel or go to Odyssey or what have you. Just know, like, Odyssey... It takes like a day after it's over for the replay video to be available for technical reasons I won't get into in some other spots like that. Rumble takes a few hours, etc. But I'm out there. I just figured out today on No Agenda Tube how to import videos. I asked Adam for an intro to the guy that runs No Agenda Tube. I'm going to try to make that work better for you guys. But you'll always be able to find the archives of this stuff sooner or later. And it's available immediately on YouTube. It's one of the reasons I continue to broadcast to YouTube. It's also nice that I get that direct interaction with comments. I'm thinking long-term about maybe having some kind of volunteers in the audience. Maybe we come up with some way they can get tipped, if people will tip, um, that would just maybe watch the live streams when they can on one of the alternate sources or two end on YouTube at the same time, and when there's comments that are, like, all caps, like I asked for, maybe just copy and paste them and say, from so-and-so on Odyssey, and drop that in, and I can star those, and that can improve my interaction, because I I can't monitor eight frickin' sites for comments at the same time, and they just don't integrate with StreamYard. So that's a thought. If you might be interested in that or something, you can let me know, and, and maybe we can... Uh, at least the ones that are the more popular ones, right now, that would be Odyssey... Uh, and float, and I have a feeling No Agenda Tube is going to come right up the pike with that as we get better at working with it. With that wrapped up, let me remind you, one of the ways you can support this show is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You go there. If it's something that I've reviewed and you're looking for something, you know you can trust my reviews. I own it. I bought it. I'd buy it again. I spend my money on it, or I don't suggest that you do so. And uh, so you always have that plus even if you just need to pick something up as long as you start there and, and go from there you help support us no matter what you eventually buy today I have a really simple item for you but it's actually one of those items that I think you need to know about it's a tape measure now. I have a hatred of tape measures for a variety of reasons. One, no matter what you do, it seems like sooner or later, they all end up broken. Either tip breaks off them, or you pull them out, and they get stuck out, and they won't go back in. I've never had one of these do that either way. They're made by a company called Coleman. K-O-M-E-L-O-N. That's one part of it. Number two, part of why I probably have tape measures break, I don't want to spend a lot of money on a tape measure. You know me, I am a buy-once-cry-once once guy, but I also know my personal Problems okay. I have three things that I can lose in five seconds flat without leaving a room: they are tape measures, sharpie markers, and toenail clippers, fingernail clippers. Right? I don't know what it is, I think gnomes steal them or something. And clippers and sharpies are cheap and they'll turn up eventually. The gnomes will give them back. Tape measures cost a few bucks, these are not expensive, they're not stupid cheap, but they're you know like 12 bucks. So if I can't find one for a while, the gnomes are using it, I don't know, as a shrine or something. When they finally give it back, I'll get it back. So they're not real expensive, and they don't break. But here's the other thing. And I know there are a few other tape measures out that work this way, finally, but no tape measure should work any way other than the ones do. You know how most tape measures, you pull the tape out, and then you got to lock it, and then it'll lock out so you can actually measure things while you're by yourself? The comb work absolutely the backwards way from that. When you pull the tape measure out, it locks automatically, and you push the button to retract it. Now, you know what I've never done? I've never thought, gee, I opened up this tape to measure a thing. I sure wish it would immediately retract. I've never done that in my life. I've never thought that's the way it should be. You always have to lock it down, and I think locking it down the way they lock down puts kinks in the tape over time, and that's where those kinks come from, and it won't retract for you. Embrace it, because I've never had one of these do that. It immediately locks in place. Oh, you just lift the button, and it retracts. They're also like a high visibility green, so maybe it makes it a little harder for the gnomes to hide them from you. And I personally have, you know, one long one, one twenty-five foot one. Oh, I actually have two, one in the drawer where the gnomes can't find it, and one that I use day-to-day until I misplace and I go get my drawer one. And then I have a few of the 12-footers. And I find that that's pretty much going to do any measuring job that I need to do. They also make 30-footers, and they make like an 8- or a 9-footer, if that's your bag. But me, 12-footers aren't that much bigger. They're easy to carry around. That's my number one go-to size for a tape. I know it sounds like a little thing again, but Coleman guys, everybody that's picked them up has told me they're so much better than the tape measures that they've been using, and it only costs a few bucks. But again, no matter what you buy, start out at tspaz.com, and you help us out no matter what it is. With that, we are wrapped up today. Thanks to all of you who did come in on the live stream. If you weren't on a live stream and you're like, I'd like to know when these things are going to happen, there's a couple things you can do. One, at any period of time, you can now go to tspclive.com, and you'll see the next live stream that's coming up. The next one coming up and you can see all the ways that you can get there. You may at times see the, the one that just happened if I haven't set the next one up yet. But here's how to get like an alert, a reminder. Hey, this is going to happen today. Go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on get social and join our Telegram channel. You can join the group if you want to have discussions. The channel is just announcements from me when something's posted. I go there almost every time. One to two hours before a stream going to start and say, hey, we're going to have a stream today. Here's what it's about. That way we stay in touch with each other. With that, hope you guys had a great one. I know I did. I will be back tomorrow. We're going to have a really great interview tomorrow. But since Dorothy hasn't gotten my paperwork to me yet, I'm not sure exactly who that's going to be. Take care, guys. Catch you around next time.